The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Darkness. All he had ever seen was darkness. He had never seen the face of his mother or his father or his own face for that matter. He was born blind, and that's why every day he was led to this place, wherever he was. All he knew was that there was a pool of water nearby and a building called a temple behind him, but he had never seen either one of those, so he didn't really know much about it. As he leaned up against his wall and took in the sounds and the smells of the day, he could tell that there was something a little bit different. The the usual pointless small talk was replaced with purposeful conversation, and there was a commotion going on in the direction he was told the temple was, and it was getting closer and closer until he heard a clear voice say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Ah, that explains it. A teacher, a rabbi, that's why everyone's so excited. So let's hear it, Rabbi. Who was it? Who can I blame that I was born blind? Was it my mom's fault or my dad's fault? Or did I somehow make God so mad before I was even born that he decided me to curse, decided to curse me in this way? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, the rabbi said. But this happened so that God's works might be displayed in him. And the blind man heard someone spit. And the next thing he knew, someone was applying something to his eyes. He felt them, and it was clay. And then he heard the rabbi's voice. It was closer this time. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. He knew that pool. It was the pool that was close by. So in his blindness, he gingerly got to his feet and began to stumble his way toward the water. But even though his eyes were caked with clay, it seemed like he had already begun to see. It wasn't punishment. His blindness wasn't punishment. It's an easy conclusion to think that God works in a a karma-like way, that good things happen to people who do good things, and bad things happen to people who do bad things, because that's what we would do, wouldn't it? We'd make sure that good things happen to good people, and that bad things happen to bad people, and that anyone who sinned against us would receive the punishment that they deserved. But what does Jesus say? It wasn't anyone's fault. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. God wasn't punishing him when he allowed him to be blind, nor was God somehow vindictive. No, Jesus says this was done so that the works of God might be displayed in him. These works are not the ever the, the point, the, the works of God never end in brokenness. The works of God always happen in response to brokenness. Because life is full of tragedy, isn't it? And we here at Faith are no strangers to tragedy. When tragedy strikes, there's often one question that seems to break through the tears and come to the tip of our tongue, and that's, Why? God, why did you let this happen? 
But when tragedy strikes, know this. God is not punishing you. It's not as if he has the crosshairs of his wrath trained on you. In tragedy, remember who the enemy is. The enemy is not God. The enemy is Satan. He is the one who tempted Adam and Eve. He is the one who led them to fall. He is the one who loves to lead us deep into depression, darkness, and despair. We are broken because this world is broken. And the battle is not between you and God. The battle is between God and sin. And that's why we can say with confidence that God is not punishing us in the midst of tragedy. Because there is no punishment for sin left. God didn't have the crosshairs of his wrath trained on you. He had the crosshairs of his wrath trained on Jesus instead. And God didn't miss his mark. That's why Jesus was here. That's why he didn't arrest uh, resist arrest. That's why he didn't speak out when he was during his trial. That's why he didn't throw off his, his chains and the crown of thorns. That's why he, he took the whips and the cross. And that's why he allowed himself to be nailed in the sinner's place and stay there. Because he knew that when it was all said and done and sin was paid for, he could say with confidence and mean it, it is finished. And it is finished. Sin is dead. Death is defeated. Satan's head is crushed. The war is over. Now, anytime Satan tries to convince you that God is punishing you because you did a specific sin and made God mad, know that it's all he can do. He's just raving because he's lost. And if you were right, and if it were true that God was punishing you for a specific sin because you made him mad, then what was Jesus doing here in the first place? No, even amid tragedy, we don't have to fear God because in Jesus we can see God's love for us. In a way that only God can, God takes the devil's greatest schemes and twists them and turns them for our good. Satan takes pleasure in watching God's children suffer. So God comes to us in the midst of the suffering and brings us comfort. Suffering brings the Christian out of us, the Christian that clings tightly to God's word and never lets go. Because in our darkest moments, that's our light. That's all we have. And as we draw close to God in his word, we find a never-ending chorus of comfort. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Because I live, you also will live. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am the resurrection and the life. In tragedy, in Jesus, it shapes us. It helps us grow and grow closer to God in our faith. Because sometimes it takes the world falling apart and everything crashing down around us for us to realize that Jesus was the one who was holding us and was the one who made life worth living all along. After wandering in the darkness, the blind man finally finds the pool and washes away the clay. And with the clay goes his blindness. For the first time in his life, he can see. The man before the miracle is a great picture 
of the sinful world. Jesus calls sin darkness. But it's not like darkness in this, when you're going for a walk late at night or when you're stumbling in your room trying to find the light switch at three in the morning. No, sin is complete darkness. I don't know if you've ever experienced complete darkness before. The first time I did, it was on a cave tour. And one of the highlights of the cave tour was they led us to the deepest part of the cave, furthest away from both of the entrances, and without telling anybody, they shut off the lights. It was an otherworldly experience. You would take your hand and wave it in front of your face, and you'd have no idea that it was there. Very quickly, you lost all sense of time and all sense of direction. And no matter how wide you opened your eyes, there was nothing for your eyes to adjust to. You could try to see as hard as you wanted to, but it was just a void. Sin is complete darkness. There are many proofs of God's existence. If we look around this world, there is an ordered creation, and even our consciences testify that there is a God. But people can't see him because they are blind. People can't see because they are stuck in the darkness. It's as if God is being waved right in front of their face and they can't see. And no matter how hard you try to see in the dark, if there is no light, it's impossible. In the same way, the only way that we can see when we're blind is for someone to open our eyes. And the only way that someone can see in complete darkness is if someone turns on the light. When the formerly blind man looked around, he tried to see who Jesus was, but Jesus was gone. It wasn't until later that Jesus found him. And he didn't only open his eyes so that he might see what Jesus looked like, but he also opened his eyes so that he would see Jesus as his Savior. Jesus shone the light of life into his heart, and he believed that Jesus was his Savior. And that's why Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He's the one who opens blind eyes. He's the one who scatters the darkness. He's the one who opens hearts and sends his spirit so that we might believe that he is who he says he is, the savior of the world. Because we too used to walk in darkness, but now we have the light of life. Jesus came into our hearts and gave sight to our eyes. And like the blind man, we only get our sight from one place because there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. It is no mistake that you are a Christian. Just as Jesus personally healed the blind man, Jesus personally healed you. Just as Jesus made time for the blind man, Jesus made time for you. Just as Jesus used tangible materials to heal the blind man, he uses tangible materials to heal you. In baptism, he makes a public declaration that this person who is being baptized is my child. They are now part of my family. In the Lord's Supper, he gives you bread and wine and says, Take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood poured out for you. So when pastor says, I forgive you all your sins, have no doubt that he is talking about you. Know for sure, because Jesus made sure that water was poured over your head in baptism, that you received his body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine in communion so that you would be absolutely 100% sure that Jesus' love 
is for you. As we go through life, because of Jesus' love, because of the light of the world who gives light to blind eyes, we don't have to walk around timidly like someone who is staggering in the darkness, afraid they're going to run into something. No, we can have confidence because Jesus didn't make a mistake when he called you to faith. This gospel, this Savior, this salvation, it's for you, just as much as it was for this blind man. Jesus opened the blind man's eyes so that he might see him even in tragedy and that he might see him as Savior. May God continue to shine the light of his love into our hearts and may he continue to open our eyes so that we might see Jesus even in tragedy and that we'd be always confident that Jesus is our Savior and his love is for you. Amen.